chased the dark night of sin away, shed o'er the world thy holy light. Children can listen for the language of light in our text, which we'll turn to soon. Let's go first to our confessional reading, Lord's Day 13, page 214 in the Smaller Forms and Prayers books. It is also in the back of the Trinity Psalter hymnals. Question and answers 33 and 34. I'll read the questions. Let us together say the answers. Question 33. Why is he called God's only begotten Son when we are also God's children? Because Christ alone is the eternal, natural Son of God. We, however, are adopted children of God Adopted by grace for the sake of Christ. Why do you call him our Lord? Because not with silk or silver, but with his precious blood, he has delivered and purchased us, body and soul, from sin and from the tyranny of the devil to be his very own. It's the confession. We hold in common that faithful summary of the Word of God. Let us turn to that holy Word, the very Word of God, John chapter 1. Page 1,127 in the Blue Bibles. We'll be reading the first 13 verses. We may be coming back for verses 14 to 18 for Lord's Day 14, and that would that would get us through the whole prologue. But for this morning or for this evening, we have verses 1 to 13. Verses 1 to 13 of John chapter 1. Let us hear the word of God. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, 
who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So far the reading of the Holy Word of God. And dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, have you ever come into the room and the sun is already shining brightly. It's a room that has many windows and you uh, turn on the light. Uh, maybe on accident because you were trying to turn on a ceiling fan or, or something, but uh, whatever it is, you, you turn on the light. Maybe it's habits or, or again, maybe it was an accident. You were trying to turn on a ceiling fan. And it makes no difference. There's no distinction. The, the light from the light bulb makes the room no brighter. It already, has the, it already has the fullness of light. It already has the brightness of the sunshine. There is no distinction in that sense between light and light. There's no real difference. And on this, we all agree, whether we are believers or unbelievers. I, I think... There is a general agreement in the world about uh, the uh, unnecessary act of turning on the light in, in a room that's already full of natural light. But where there is disagreement is on what happens in the person Jesus Christ. Because the attitude of so many is that, well, the person Jesus Christ makes no difference. What matters uh, what does it matter what we uh, think or how we consider a man who lived 2,000 years ago? What difference does that make? But Jesus Christ is the maker of physical light and he is, in the spiritual sense, the true light. And there is a very clear and a very real distinction. There is only darkness apart from him. And in him is light and life. And so our theme tonight is this. The Word who is God brings clear distinctions. And let us uh, hear uh, the uh, distinctions. Uh, the, the first one more a, a matter of, of inherent difference. And then the second one uh, relating more to the picture of, of our introduction which comes from the text itself, that's the picture of verse 5. It's the illustration of our text there. Uh, but we're looking uh, first at an inherent distinction and then at those distinctions uh, between light and darkness and between unbelievers and believers. Those are our three points uh, tonight. We begin with this, the, the inherent distinction, the distinction between God and creation. In Genesis 1, and in John 1, the Bible takes us back to the start of time. Uh, what, what, uh, what was time uh, before God created it? Well, there, there was no time. There was just the eternal existence of God. There was not time in the same way. We are creatures who live in time. God made time for us to live in. It is the beginning, the beginning of time, the beginning of creation, the beginning of matter, uh, which came from God. In the beginning, and in the, in the beginning as revealed in Genesis, 
there are hints of the truth of the Trinity. There is the uh, Spirit who hovers over the waters, and there is the counsel of God in those uh, first chapters of Genesis. Well, here now in John chapter 1, the truth of the Trinity is revealed yet more plainly and more clearly uh, because uh, notice the language of verse 1. And, and let us think a little bit about what John 1 verse 1 does not say. In the beginning was the Word, and it's abundantly clear as we move forward that the Word is a name for Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now it does not say the Word was with God, and God was the Word. Why, why does it not say that? Because all that Jesus is, is God. The Word was God. And now if we think of this in terms of the Trinity, as revealed even more in, in other texts, how do we say it? The person, Jesus Christ, is fully God. The Word was God. But we cannot say God was the Word. Because the Word, Jesus Christ, is one of the three persons who make up the one essence of God. You see... The truth of the Trinity, one essence, three persons, is uh, revealed in John 1, verse 1. There is a distinction in personhood between the eternal Son, the Word, and the eternal Father, God. The Word was with God. There's two persons. And yet, the person, Jesus Christ, the Word, is fully God. The Word was God. And so here is the Trinity, the Trinity in unity, the Trinity present in creation. We see especially God the Father, who in a direct way is spoken of as the Creator, we see in a special way in Genesis 1, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit hovers over the waters. We see in a special way the Son and His presence and His role in creation revealed to us in John 1 verse 1. Putting it together, we see God, Trinity in unity, active in creation. And so uh, we see now that there is not a complete distinction between God the Father and God the Son. No, the Word was with God. And later in John, we read in John 10 verse 30, I and the Father are one. There is a complete distinction between the Word and the creation which is made by the triune God. All things were made through Him and without Him was not anything made that was made. There is a complete distinction between what is made, the matter, the stuff of this world, and God, the Creator. And at this point, uh, uh, we sit back, and, and for those who are here this morning, 
uh, it relates again to that, that error so common in those days of the early church, that error that said that matter is eternal, uh, matter is evil, and it existed apart from God or God's, and God or God's tried to shape it, but because it was always evil, they, they couldn't make it into a good creation. John is combating that same kind of uh, thinking, those same kinds of errors, very plainly in his prologue, in his introduction to his gospel. There is a complete distinction between the stuff of this world and the maker of this world. And God made it very good. God is not the author of evil. God is not to be confused with His creation in any way. And so, now, brothers and sisters, let's bring this into into some sentences, some language that, that help us to apply what this means for our thinking. The battle of this world is not the battle of evil stuff, matter, against good spirit. That was, that was how it was commonly said in the days of the early church. And what is that? That's a way of pointing away from self and saying, look, the problem is out there. The problem is bad stuff. Because all the matter of this world is bad. Now how is that said today? It's, it's said in a little bit different way. But it said something like this. Well, I just have these desires because I evolved this way. And so you just point away from self and you say, look, there's the problem. But it's not just the big philosophies of the world, right? It's not just the philosophy of, of the Greeks that influenced the, uh, influenced the days of the early church. It's not just the philosophy of evolution, which is actually related to those old philosophies, although they're not exactly the same. It's also the everyday excuses. How do we, how do we try to point away from self? We both do it with big, false ideas about what this world is and with common, everyday, well... I'm not really hurting anybody if I do this. Or, well, I wouldn't have done that if so-and-so hadn't said that or done that. You see, whether it is the big philosophies of the age with their false view about how evil comes into the world, or whether it's our simple everyday excuses, what are we always doing? We're always pointing away from self. We're always saying the problem is that. The problem is that. The problem is them. And so the theories change and the uh, excuses uh, and the, um, you know, I'm not really hurting anybody if I do blank. You know, the blank is filled in in all kinds of different ways. But it, it, all, it all comes down to different ways to point away from self for the problem. And John is saying, no, stuff is not the problem. That is not the excuse. 
God made this world. God made it very good. The problem is the rebellion of mankind. That's what threw this world into darkness. And as one of the children of Adam and Eve, our first parents who threw the world into that darkness, you are part of the problem too. So it comes back again to the fact that we all must repent. We all must get away from big philosophical or or little everyday ways of pointing away from self and bring it back to the fact that I need to be delivered. My body and my soul, because God made us body and soul together, my body and my soul must be delivered and purchased by the precious blood of our Lord. And then I, in body and soul, can be His very own. Well, this is, this is the distinction between uh, the Creator and the creation. And we're, we've already anticipated our second point here, but we come now to the distinction between light and darkness. The first day of creation, Genesis 1-3, God said, let there be light and there was light. And this is part of what John is speaking about with his language about light. The light, verse 5, shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Uh, the background of creation is still part of what John is thinking about. And what a moment. We, we, were, we were not there. Man was not created until day six, but there was no light until God made light and then the light pierced the darkness. There is now light in this world. God made this world. And there is no piercing of darkness like the very first piercing of darkness. God said, let there be light and there was light. Now that's not all that John is talking about. Indeed, it's not the primary thing that he's speaking of. What is the language of verse 4? In him was life, and the life was the light of men. In other words, by using language of life, John is already telling us what becomes clear all throughout the Gospel of John, that, that light and darkness is, is not just talking about physical realities, but he's drawing us into spiritual realities. He's drawing us into spiritual language about, about life and death, about spiritual light and spiritual darkness. And it is also true that we can read verse 5 in those terms, the light shines in the darkness becomes abundantly clear as we go on that Jesus is the true light, that Jesus is the one who came incarnate. And so reading verse 5 in the light of verse 9 and following, we say that Jesus Christ is the light. He is the one true light. That's the language of verse 9. And we are all in darkness from our first parents, Adam and Eve, but then finally one true man, one who was without sin, came and he pierced that darkness. There is no birth like the birth of the God-man, the true light, Jesus Christ. And so how will we respond to the light? 
Again, uh, if you would turn forward with me about five pages or so to John chapter 8, verse 12. Uh, This is one of the places where we see very plainly the clear distinction between light and darkness and, 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 and very explicitly that these are spiritual terms, not just physical terms. John chapter 8, verse 12, where Jesus speaks and says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so as Jesus is the one true light, as he is the one light who can come and pierce this darkness, Jesus Christ must be proclaimed. And that's where John goes next. And he speaks about John the Baptist, one who proclaimed Jesus in a special way. He proclaimed Jesus as one who had a direct uh, divine appointment. Verse 6, he was sent by God. And uh, there are there are other prophets who had direct divine appointments, but that was that was not a, a typical uh, thing. It is it sets John apart, and he had a special duty to bear witness to the light. He was, uh, as it has been said, the last Old Testament prophet and the first New Testament prophet. He was, to use the language of Scripture, the forerunner of Jesus Christ. He has a special role in this duty of proclaiming, witnessing to the one light. Because again, this is the great distinction that matters. We know that light matters. There are times that we walk into a dark room and we want light. We know that light will help us get around. We know that light's important when it's dark. And so we we turn on the light. We need that distinction. We need the light. Well, here here is the light of life. He must be proclaimed. It is so much more important than ever knowing where a light switch is. I mean, have you ever learned, you know, have you ever moved uh, into a new home? I've lived in a number of homes in my life. Perhaps that is true of you as well. What's one of the first things you want to learn when you move into a new home? Where are all the light switches? And which light switch turns on which light? That you you need to know that because you need that distinction. You don't want to be wandering around in the darkness. This is the light of life. It's much more important than knowing where any light switch is. He is the light of the world. He must be proclaimed. We must know this. So this is what uh, this is what John did. John was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. And the ministry of John the Baptist was was uh, was so profound that it was known uh, in Acts chapter 19. We are told that the ministry of John was known as far away from Jerusalem as Ephesus. That's 600 miles. And that is a no easy distance by means of ancient travel. Now we talked in our first point about all the many philosophical and everyday temptations to point away from self when thinking about the problem. Well, when we think about the solution, the temptation is to point to self or to point to one of our desires instead of pointing to Jesus Christ. And what John the disciple is saying is that John the Baptist, John the Baptist was clear, I am not the light. I am not worthy 
to tie on his sandal straps. No, John the Baptist was very clear. I'm witnessing about him. I'm witnessing about the one who can take away sin. But sadly, it is so easy for the human heart to point to our own self, our own works, our own desires, thinking that we'll be satisfied in that way, uh, to our own entertainment, that, uh, that we point anywhere except to Jesus Christ. Now, this pointing to entertainment is part of why John had to say this. What, is, what, what do I mean? There was no TV in AD 30. And so an eccentric preacher could become the entertainment of the day. And even as John the Baptist was so plainly declaring that he was not salvation, but that God was salvation, people got caught up in the entertainment such that repeatedly in the New Testament we have to be reminded of this. John the Baptist is not the man. His eccentric ministry and his strange clothes and his powerful preaching is not the thing you need. You need the one he's pointing to and proclaiming. Now we have all kinds of other entertainment and all kinds of other ways to have our eyes drawn away from the one Savior. All kinds of other ways that that we would point everywhere except to Christ when considering salvation. But we can only point to Christ and that's what John the Baptist was seeking to do. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Now, as the light is proclaimed, as the good news is declared, as Jesus Christ is set before us, well then there is, there is a response, either to believe or not to believe. And that's our third point. The distinction between unbelievers and believers since the fall instigated by the father of lies, there has only been one true man, the true light, Jesus Christ. And everyone who believes, Jew or Gentile, will be saved. Sadly, starting with the Jews in verse 11, verse 10 and verse 11, Many reject the Savior. His own did not receive Him. Who was Jesus Christ? Well, He is, he is the Son of God, but he's, he's also man. He's also true man. And He is truly a descendant of Abraham, a descendant of David. Jesus was a Jew. And He preached to His own first. He appeared to his own first, but his own did not receive him. Let's turn forward to John chapter 3. 
know, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. There's also language about the sad rejection, which starts with the Jews, but sadly includes many. Because as Christ was proclaimed to Jew and to Gentile, there were both Jews and Gentiles who did not believe. So John 3, verse 17 and following, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. The Jews rejected the Messiah. Many Gentiles also have rejected the Messiah. And to be in unbelief is to remain in the condemnation of our own sin. But praise be to the Lord. Praise be to the Lord that the rejection of the light is not the end of the account. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. He is the only eternal Son. He is the only one who was God. He is the only one who is fully God. But all who believe in Him are counted now as the brothers and sisters following the firstborn among many brethren are counted as the adopted sons saved and sons and daughters saved by the one eternal Son. Question answer 33. Why is He called God's only begotten Son when we are also God's children? Because Christ alone is the eternal natural Son of God. We, however, are adopted children of God, adopted by grace for the sake of Christ. There is a real distinction between believer and unbeliever and God really works to save and to bring out of darkness and into His marvelous light. And so we would not be left in our darkness. This is all of God. What was the, what was the error of the Jews? So this is, uh, this is still uh, part of the focus of John here, moving from 10 to 11 to verse 13. Uh, the error of the Jews was especially this, that they, that they trusted in their birth from the blood of Abraham, that they, that they trusted in their, in their family right, their family situation. Uh, and so uh, today, you know, we still think sometimes uh, about uh, blood relatives and, and we still use that phrase in, in that way. That's how we should understand the word blood there in verse 13. Who were born not of blood. It, it's not that they were of the blood of Abraham. It, it's not that they were descendants of, of, of that patriarch, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. It, it's not any any kind of physical birth. It's not any kind of physical act. It's nothing that we do, but it is of God. Or uh, to go back to John chapter 3, 
Uh, we read this in John 3, verses 4 to 6. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So God takes away all of our all of our errors in all of their different forms and God takes away all of our dependence upon self and as everything points to Christ and as we believe in Him, we are saved. We are reborn. There is a real distinction. There are many Jews and then Gentiles who have remained in darkness, but there are many who are saved. Because Jesus is the true light of the world. And believing in Him, all of our sins are wiped away. All of our darkness is cleansed. And we have light in the true light of the world. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, our Creator God, as we think about the problems of this world,